Welcome to Celebrate Poe, a deep dive into the life, times, and works of America's Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe. This is Episode 5, Heroes of the Revolutionary Generation. My name is George Bartley, and the song you are hearing, Come Rest in This Bosom, is said to be Edgar Allan Poe's favorite song. In this episode, I would like to talk about the generation preceding Poe by delving into two heroes who will serve as representatives of the revolutionary generation, a term from Sarah Val's Lafayette and the Somewhat America. But before we go any further, I would like to ask you to subscribe to this podcast and would really appreciate a rating. Let me start by saying that I have never really been satisfied with the voice of Poe in this podcast. And last night, I tried recording an altered voice with a southern accent on a track with special effects. When I listened back to it, I realized it just wasn't clear. And after writing the script and still not being able to uh, understand the voice, I thought I'd better change it if I didn't understand it. So I am just using a southern accent for Poe, the same technique that audio readers uh, use. And last week, I made a huge mistake in the Halloween episode that I better own up to. I was listening to an earlier episode and casually mentioned that uh, The Raven, which was first published in 1845, I said uh, when I recorded it, it was first published in, in 1984. I have no idea how that slipped by. I didn't know what I, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, maybe it was rather late at night and I was tired. Well, anyway, I'm going to listen to any future episode before I upload it and hope nothing like that happens again. Well, having uh, gotten those two faux pas out of the way, it's time for this week's regular episode. There were so many revolutionary heroes that I barely know where to start, so I'm just going to recommend it first that you watch the musical Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. The story of such revolutionary heroes as Alexander Hamilton, George Washington, and Thomas Jefferson, to name a few, during a very important time in our nation's history. Oh, here comes Mr. Poe. Well, welcome, Mr. Poe. I assume you have not seen the musical Hamilton. I mean, being a ghost and uh, not having a credit card, I don't really know how you could have seen it. Uh, let me tell you about it. Mr. Bartley, please do not be so condescending. I was fortunate enough to witness the musical Hamilton several times in New York City. May I ask, uh, how did you get tickets? I don't know if, if I should really say this, uh, but uh, I was able to procure tickets from my friend, the Phantom of the Opera. You mean the actor who played the role of the Phantom? No, the actual character of the Phantom of the Opera from the 1910 novel by Gaston Leroux. As you know, it has been said that I wrote the first real detective story, and Mr. Leroux was so fascinated by my work that he also wrote a detective mystery, The Mystery of the Yellow Room. So the Phantom and I have been friends for a comparatively long time. 
The idea of being friends with a fictional character was beyond credibility. Uh, now, Mr. Poe, uh, do you feel that uh, Hamilton conveyed the story of the American Revolution? Oh, yes, yes Mr. Mr. Botley, and in a way that uh, it seemed to genuinely appeal to younger people of your era. Uh, I was most impressed by the entire experience, and it is quite an experience. The music was quite agreeable, the story was most fascinating, and several of the ladies caused me to imagine that my mother was singing while the audience was entranced by her charms. Uh, perhaps the time in which the musical was set meant a bit more to you than to most people. While the musical took place in the generation before I was born, I did have a direct connection to several of the characters in the musical. I briefly attended the University of Virginia while the college president and founder, Thomas Jefferson, was alive. I actually gave my oral exams before former presidents Madison and Monroe. How would you like to have been examined intellectually by several individuals who had been president of the United States? And I also met General Lafayette, but more about that later. One more thing about the musical. Do check out the accompanying book to Hamilton from your library. The book is printed in the style of books from several hundred years ago with a beautiful binding. And check out the title page. Let me take a breath on this one. Hamilton, the revolution being the complete libretto of the Broadway musical with the account of its creation and concise remarks on hip-hop, the power of stories, and the new America. Uh, Mr. Bartley, if you think that was a lengthy title, compare it to the title of my only novel, and I most definitely will need to take a breath before this one. The title is... The narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket comprising the details of a mutiny and atrocious, bu atrocious butchery on board the American brig Grampus on her way to the South Seas in the month of June 1827 with an account of the recapture of the vessel by the survivors, their shipwreck and subsequent horrible sufferings from famine, their deliverance by means of the British schooner Jane Guy, the brief cruise of the the later vessel in the Antarctic Ocean, her capture and the massacre of her crew among a group of islands in the 84th parallel of southern, the southern latitude, together with the incredible adventures and discoveries still farther south to which that distressing calamity gave rise. Uh, although most people refer to my novel as simply Pym. Now, I would like to examine now in more detail one of the characters in Hamilton, General Lafayette, not only because of his contributions to the United States, but because uh, I am privileged to have a personal connection with the general. I actually met General Lafayette when I was only 15 years old. Oh, yes, before I continue, I must disclose that much of what I will relate today is based on information that I have read in libraries. For example, it is said that my father deserted the family when I was two years old, something I doubt I would remember from experience. So even though I will try to refrain from relating 
unreliable information. This is very important. Uh, some of what I may say is not from first-hand knowledge. That is completely understandable, and thanks, Mr. Poe, for clearing that up. I will honor your wishes and give you the honor of talking about the first of our revolutionary heroes today, General Lafayette. You admired him so much. I will then talk about the second hero, who also used the name Lafayette. Thank you, Mr. Botley. Now, the Marquis de Lafayette was born in, into a very wealthy and aristocratic family in 1757 in south-central France. And like me, he never really knew his father. My father deserted the family when I was two years old. And Lafayette's father was a French soldier who died in the Seven Years' War between France and Britain when his son was less than two. Now, the Seven Years' War ended when Lafayette was five years old. France lost the war to Britain, but still many French people thought of Britain as their enemy. And imagine how Lafayette felt. The British Army had killed his father. Lafayette strongly wanted to be a part of the military, and in the French system of the day, he could not become an officer without, as you say, cozying up to the king first. When Lafayette was 13, his mother died. A few months later, his grandfather died, leaving all his money to Lafayette. So now a 13-year-old boy was one of the wealthiest people in France. His great-grandfather was still living and arranged for Lafayette to become an officer. Lafayette's great-grandfather uh, then arranged for him to marry a wealthy young lady named Adrienne, a marriage that was most agreeable to both parties. And to add to a very positive situation, Lafayette's great-grandfather arranged for his grandson and his grandson's wife to live in the unbelievably beautiful Versailles, the king's palace. But Lafayette still desired to enter the military, to become a soldier. Now in 1775, the Duke of Gloucester, who was the brother of the King of England, met Lafayette when the Frenchman was one of the guests at a lavish dinner. Apparently, the Duke of uh, Gloucester and the King of England did not get along well, and the Duke started speaking most ill regarding the King. The Duke then explained why the American colonists and England were currently at war. Uh, Lafayette became convinced that he needed to help the colonists. He uh, bought a ship and named it La Victoire, French for the victory. I'm glad you are pronouncing the French terms instead of me. Uh, nevertheless, Mr. Bartley, Lafayette was able to procure the services of other officers to assist him because many Frenchmen were still angry at England. They wanted to fight with the Americans because it might give them an opportunity to beat their previous enemy. The king at that time, King Louis XVI, found out about Lafayette's plans and was most unhappy. He wanted the Americans to prevail regarding the struggle, but he did not want France to be forced into another war with England. 
So he sent a message to Lafayette, ordering the young man to stay in France. So, uh, Mr. Poe, what did Lafayette do? Lafayette had heard rumors that the king just might demand that he stay. He knew that if he received an order from the king, it would be impossible to disobey it. So Lafayette disguised himself so that he could not be recognized. That way, he would not uh, visually encounter the information contained in the message, but could still go to America. It took the ship 54 days to reach the coast of South Carolina, and then Lafayette and his men were forced to travel over a month from Charleston to Philadelphia. The overwhelming majority of the roads were extremely rough, with numerous muddy paths through swamps and forests. Now, in Philadelphia, they went to see the president of the Congress, John Hancock. Lafayette and his men were told to come back the next day to Independence Hall. They certainly came back the next day, but were told to wait in the street outside. Finally, someone came to them and said, It is true that we needed officers and military help last year, but now we have plenty of experience. Sorry, we don't need you. After all that trouble, that must have been devastating. Lafayette could not believe what he had just been told. He had hidden from the king, gotten together a group of supportive men, and bought a ship with his own money. Then he traveled 54 days across the ocean and 32 days over land to reach Philadelphia. And after all that, he was told to go home. Lafayette did not know that many French officers had previously asked, to be officers in the United States Army. Most of them really did not want to fight. They were only in it for the money and the title. And due to the French and Indian War, many Americans were not sure they could trust the French. Now Lafayette was certainly well known in France, but in America, no one at the time knew that he was very wealthy and from an extremely family. All that the colonists knew was that he was a 19-year-old in fancy clothes who had never been in battle. Fortunately, Lafayette had brought letters with him from influential people in Europe who could testify to his importance. When the members of Congress read these testimonials, they changed their minds. And Lafayette said that he had come completely at his own expense. He wanted to serve completely without pay as a volunteer who believed that the colonists should be free. For the next four years, Lafayette proved himself to be a valuable resource through planning and winning numerous battles. He became an invaluable asset, enabling the colonists to prevail in their struggle against Great Britain. Now, to summarize, General Lafayette not only proved himself to be a valuable soldier, but played a major role in defeating the British and ensuring that the colonies could become the United States. The second revolutionary hero in this episode deals with a man who was initially known by just one name, James, and without him, the results of the Revolutionary War might have been quite different. 
James was enslaved to a Virginia tobacco farmer named William Armstead. Armstead had heard that an enslaved man could be granted his freedom by fighting for the colonies. So in 1781, Armstead allowed James to join General Lafayette to help defeat the British. Now, an officer by the name of Benedict Arnold began the war fighting on the side of the colonists. He fought bravely but didn't feel appreciated. After being passed over for promotion, he secretly switched sides and ended up working against his own commander, George Washington, by spying for the British. Even today, when someone is a traitor, we might refer to that person as a Benedict Arnold. Unfortunately for Benedict Arnold, his efforts to help the British failed, and he was exposed as a spy. Arnold ended up joining the British Army before the American troops could catch him, so he ended up fighting with Cornwallis against the American Army. I just want you to realize that there was a tradition of having spies against the opposing side. Now, this is where the plot thickens. Lafayette ordered James to dress in rags and present himself as a runaway slave to Cornwallis and Benedict Arnold. James went out of his way to be helpful and offered to guide the British soldiers along the winding country roads. Not surprisingly, the soldiers were glad to accept his help, and no one really paid much attention to him. Cornwallis, Benedict Arnold, and the troops shared all kinds of secret information regarding their strategies in front of James. James now knew their plans, snuck away, and told what he had heard to General Lafayette. And to make things worse, the British had such faith in James that they asked him to spy on the Americans for them. So James began carrying valuable information he had learned from the British to the Americans and misleading information about the Americans' plans to the British. In other words, the classic double agent. Now, working as a double agent was, was extremely risky. If the British discovered James was a spy, they would hang him immediately. Most of the American soldiers didn't know who James was, and if they caught him carrying papers to the British, there's a good chance that James would have been executed. But James always managed to escape detection. Within a year, the information that he passed to Lafayette allowed the colonial army to trap Cornwallis at Yorktown. The British army then had no choice but to surrender. James was in General Lafayette's camp when Cornwallis came to admit defeat. Mr. Bartley, I wish we had a record of the look on Cornwallis's face when he saw his trusted spy James there and realized that the person he had depended on to learn American secrets was actually on the opposing side. That would have been interesting to see. Now, the deal was that after the war, African-American members of the enslaved population who served as soldiers would be free. But this did not apply to James. He had not been a soldier, but a spy. He petitioned for his freedom, but after a few years, he was turned down. Eventually, General Lafayette wrote a commendation explaining how important James was to winning the war. 
James was then freed in 1787. James took the name of James Lafayette to honor his commander and lived on a farm with his family for the rest of his life in New Kent County, Virginia. I check out the show notes for this episode for a picture of the commendation written by Lafayette with an image of James. Now, fast forward to 1824. Uh, President James Monroe invited Lafayette, who by this time had gone back to France, to visit the United States. Of course, by now, Lafayette was a national hero. He spent two years visiting all 30 states during his American tour. There were 32 states at the time, and he was treated like a rock star. At the time, New York City had a population of 110,000. 80,000 people turned out to meet him when he came to the city in 1824. In contrast, when the Beatles came to the United States, they were met by 5,000 people out of a population then of 7 million. Lafayette and James met one last time during that visit to Richmond, Virginia. A huge crowd, including James, turned out to meet the Frenchman. Lafayette saw James, called out to him, and the two men embraced The two men, one French and the other African-American, had played pivotal roles at Yorktown to ensure America's freedom. And, uh, Mr. Poe, uh, would you tell us about your impressions of that visit? Yes, Yes, Mr. Botley. Uh, When uh, General Lafayette visited Richmond, I was a lieutenant in a military company called the Richmond Junior Volunteers. I took part in a grand parade to welcome the visit of General Lafayette. By now, he was a national hero. Standing in my uniform in front of the Eggy House to welcome the great Lafayette was one of the proudest moments of my life. Looking back on it, I can see that I had developed a genuine fascination for the military. So one might say that uh, the many heroes of the revolution made it possible for me to be born into a new nation with endless possibilities. Thank you, Mr. Poe. Uh, And uh, please uh, ask any questions that you might have of Mr. Poe or myself at celebratepoe at gmail.com. There's no need to include your name unless you want a shout out. I do have a few questions questions from my days at History Alive as Poe, but I want to deal with the subjects that you are most interested in. That's CelebratePoe, all one word, at gmail.com. In our next episode, we will discuss the topic of Mr. Poe's ancestors, a subject that might really amaze you. Our sources include Lafayette in the Somewhat United States by Sarah Val. The closing music for this podcast is the original version of The World Turned Upside Down. According to legend, General Cornwallis had this song played when he surrendered at the siege of Yorktown. Well, thank you very much for making it thus far as we take a deep dive into the life, works, and times of America's Shakespeare and how he has changed our world.